We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning at Bethany United Methodist Church. If you're just now joining us, uh, we're glad you're online with us this morning. And uh, we welcome you uh, to Bethany, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and grow in His image. As Sherry said at the beginning of the service, we're starting a new uh, series this week, Call for a Purpose. Uh, We're we're kind of reaching back to um, the call and purpose statement we developed a few years ago, and we're going to unpack that some and uh, spend some time exploring that. Uh, And so I'm going to remind you that that call and purpose statement reads like this. God calls Bethany to be a community participating in God's mission of love, transforming us and the world. We do this by leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, and grow in his image. And this morning we're going to focus on the community aspect of this statement. So uh, I invite you to uh, join with me in prayer as we begin this time. Come Holy Spirit and and open our hearts and our minds to uh, what it is you would share with us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if we're going to talk about being a community, a Christian community, uh, you know, I'm a word person, so I like to play with words. So I looked up the word community, and this is from Merriam-Webster's. Uh, community noun, uh, the people with common interests living in a particular area, a group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society, a body of persons of common and especially professional interests scattered through a larger society, a body of persons or nations having a common history or common social, economic, and political interest, a group linked by a common policy, and, and hopefully by now you're getting the picture, that the, the things that define community are, are the common, the, the common interest, common policy, common core, uh, and the body, the body, the group of people. And so that's kind of how uh, the, the sense of community is comp- uh, described. And if we look into uh, the Acts of the Apostles, one of the earliest pictures we have with the Christian community uh, comes from the second chapter. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So you're hearing that the piece of the body, the, the people who are gathering together, they're all coming together, they're sharing in meals with one another, they're sharing in times of prayer and worship with one another. You have that group, but, but they have that common, and that common devotion to Christ, uh, that common empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's what enables them to be this powerful uh, community of Christ that, that you know, is doing many signs and wonders and, and, and bringing people to Christ so that day by day, you know, the Lord's adding people to their numbers. I mean, it's a powerful community of Christ uh, defined by the common core and by the people. Uh, and if you want to go further into Acts, we encounter our brother uh, Paul as he is telling his story. And it's a really great way to understand the connection between who we are and the community of which we are a part. Uh, It begins uh, while he is still going by the Hebrew name Saul. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, which is the early name for the Christian church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Uh, he's still going by the Hebrew name Saul, and he goes to the leaders of the synagogue to get these letters. And it tells you that he's, he's very much a part of this community of uh, Pharisees in the early church. He's very much tied into that, very much understands himself to be part of this group. Now, on his way to Damascus, he's going to have this dramatic encounter with the person of Christ on the road that most of us are familiar with to some extent, where he encounters the person of Christ. There's a bright light. He's, he's knocked to the ground. He's blinded. And he hears a voice, and the voice is saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, that, that three days is an important number in Scripture. And obviously, it, it corresponds to you know, the three days in the tomb with Christ, uh, the three days in the belly of the well for Jonah. But it's this kind of a, a resurrection kind of experience that Paul's going through that you're to understand that he's, he's, he's being remade. He's being raised up anew. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight." But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. Now that's really Ananias saying it in a really nice way to God. Are you sure? Are we talking about the right guy here, God? Do you understand who you're talking about? And I don't know if you ever have those kind of conversations with God, but... I've had a few in my day when, when God calls me to, to something that I'm not really willing to do. Uh, but, you know, God always has the last word. And so the Lord says to him, go, for he's an instrument whom I've chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And, you know, when, when God speaks back to you and says, okay, get up and go, most of the time we end up going. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoke this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? And you hear people's confusion because, because Saul, who, who originally came to persecute the church, all of a sudden everything is different. And it's interesting that then in that moment he comes to Damascus, he's with the disciples of Christ there. Ananias is the instrument to restore his sight. Uh, he begins to eat again, regain his strength. 
his shift in person from being Saul the Pharisee to Paul the Apostle is accompanied by a shift in community from the Hebrew community of the Pharisees to the Christian community, the followers of Christ, the way. And you hear how those are connected. It's very much part of, of who we are in our spiritual journey. Our, our connection uh, with one another mirrors our connection with Christ. And both of those work to define who we are. Paul's going to write about it, and he talks about it this way to the Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You, you hear how clear Paul is that, that you know, this is, this is who I used to be, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. And, and now all that stuff that formerly he would have taken such pride in, he counts as loss because he's been moved into this different place. He's connected to Christ and this community of the Christians and the hope of attaining the resurrection. I mean, there's this drastic change in who he has been and the community that he's connected with. When he's getting ready to go into the region of, the Galatia, of Galatia, he uh, opens his letter to them, and he says, Paul, notice how he's now referring to himself uh, with the name Paul, which is the Greek form of his name. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me to the churches of Galatia. You hear that? how he defines himself, not, not commissioned by human authority, but by God himself. He claims that commissioning. But you hear he also talks about the family of God that are with him, this new community who are traveling with him as he goes into this region of what we think of now as Turkey. Uh, and then in Ephesians, uh, again, he reminds us that, that there's a radical change of, of people and community. So then remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, the Hebrews, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Now, that, that, there's some language in there that might be a little difficult for some of us, but um, Mark Roberts uh, of the Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller uh, wrote a commentary on this section of Ephesians, and I want to share a little bit of it with you uh, that'll help hopefully clarify a few things, but also make some things uh, really stand out to you. Uh, so in writing about this, uh, Paul makes a couple of crucial assumptions. First, 
he assumes that the one true God chose to reveal himself to Israel and through Israel to the world. Separation from Israel, therefore, implies separation from God. And then he has a little parenthetical comment. He says, yes, God reveals himself more broadly through nature, conscience, etc. But natural revelation and general revelation are not sufficient for a saving relationship with God. See Romans 1, 18-23. Second, Paul assumes that God's life is to be experienced in and through the community of God's people. Though we can know God personally as individuals, this knowledge is deepened, enriched, and nurtured through shared experience of God. God did not reveal himself independently to a dispersed group of individual Jews. Rather, God made himself known to the people of Israel, to whom he revealed his covenants of promise and sent his Messiah. The assumptions behind this passage as well as his specific teachings, contradict the popular view that we can know God all by ourselves in any way we choose. From the perspective of biblical revelation, true spirituality, though deeply personal, is also deeply and necessarily corporate. When it comes to knowing God, community matters. This tying together of our connection with God and our connection with one another. So I I was trying to... uh, come up with some kind of an image uh, to, to help me with this. And what I'll reach back to, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember when wheels had spokes. Uh, some of you may not do that. Or if you ride a bike, you may have spokes on your bike wheel. But uh, you know, a, a basic wheel like this has uh, three basic components. It has the hub, uh, the spokes, and the rim. And, and when all of that is put together and connected well and strong, uh, it's, it's immensely uh, strong uh, it's, and very effective and very powerful uh, and serves its purpose extremely well. Um, but you'll notice that, you know, as we look at this, that the, the hub is at the center of it. That's the, the common core, the common purpose, what defines us. Uh, the spokes then, you can think of as the individuals that we are who are involved in this, and we are connected to one another then through the rim. And it becomes really important that that hub, that common core, is, is understood and defined. Uh, just as a, a really strange example I thought of earlier was, you know, if you joined the Austin Fishing Club, uh, you would assume that everybody who was part of the Austin Fishing Club, that's the common interest, we all go fishing. But what if somebody shows up and says, well, you know, I also like to go hunting. And, and so I want to talk about hunting too. Okay, so we'll make it the Austin Fishing and Hunting Club. And then somebody says, well, you know, most of the time when we go fishing and hunting, we're taking four-wheel drive vehicles out here. So why don't we make it about that as well? So now it's the Austin Fishing, Hunting, and Four-Wheel Drive Club. And then someone says, well, you know, we also camp a lot when we do this. So now it's the Austin Fishing, Hunting, Driving, and, and Camping Club. And if you keep adding things on, it's, it, pretty soon it's no longer the Austin Fishing Club, is it? And, and in fact, the original reason may get lost completely. You've changed the definition of what it's about, diluted the understanding of who we are and what we are about. That's why the church has always insisted that we need to understand that that Christ is at the core of the Christian church. That at that hub is is God understand in, in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that we understand Jesus to be the Son of God, fully human, fully divine, the fullest revelation of who God is that is given to us. That, that Jesus, by his offering of himself on the cross, is the forgiveness of our sins, and by his resurrection is the gift of life to us. A very orthodox understanding of that. And the church has insisted on that throughout the millennia. That's the hub. 
That's what defines it. And if you listen to what Mark said, there's some, some warnings that need to be spoken to us. One, we have to be careful about what else we might put in that hub, especially as we come into election season. Uh, it's really easy for us to get our politics and our religion all mixed together. And pretty soon, you know, we're, we're really, we're putting, you know, like our political views kind of at the center of the wheel, insisting that that's part of the hub. And once that happens, we're, we're no longer the Christian church. We're the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or Libertarian Party. Or we may decide that, you know, I can define Jesus any way I want to. And the, the danger with that is if, if all of us decide that we get to decide who Jesus is, then we really just end up with a hub with one spoke. And a wheel with just one spoke is totally useless and ineffective. Or we may decide that, um, you know, that, that thing that's so insidious in our culture is as we look at Jesus, we say, well, you know, he lived a long time ago and things are really different now. And so, you know, maybe he didn't understand some things the way we understand it. And we begin to modify who Jesus is or, or we talk about him as he's just a moral teacher. He's not really the son of God. And, and so we begin to judge Christ instead of Christ judging us, which really reaches back to that original and first sin in the book right when adam and eve were in the garden and they saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the fruit was good to eat and that if they ate it they would become like god knowing good from evil and we begin to enter into that place of idolatry where we place ourselves at the hub that's why it's so important for us to hold to that orthodox faith and understand that that it's christ who's at the hub this understanding of Jesus, and he is the fullest revelation of God. Kind of reminds me of that, that past thing I shared with you the other week from Todd Hunter, Bishop Todd Hunter. Put Jesus in the center of the picture and work out from there. We don't start thinking and responding via the frame of anything else, political parties, political theories, theological action groups, or even extra-biblical theological constructs and schemes. And then try to fit Jesus and the kingdom into those frames. It distorts, pollutes, and marginalizes Jesus every time. You have to start with Jesus in the center. You have to start with him in the center. Having defined the hub then, we the spokes also have to be connected to one another in the rim, which is the unity of the animal. Now, I want to say just a quick word. Uh, unity is really not a purpose of the church. Unity is the relationship we have with each other in the church. If you try to make unity the purpose of the church, one, you've, you've replaced Christ with unity. Uh, and again, it's a form of idolatry. But the other issue you get into is if unity is actually the purpose of the church, then the implication for us is that we all need to be exactly alike. Uh, and we basically need to be clones of each other. So, so understand, unity is about the relationship that we hold with one another on this rim around the edge. And, you know, if you have a, a wheel and you have the hub and you have all the spokes, but you don't have the rim, again, it's just not going to work. It, it's not effective. It, there's no power to it. There's no strength to it. So that, that rim is important as we hold together in that relationship. And we spokes are to be connected both to the hub, but, but then also to the rim, that community of faith. Just as, as Paul found his definition, both in his relationship with Christ and in his relationship with the early Christian community. We also find that where we are in that place, 
the wheel, the, the mission of the church, the, the spreading of the kingdom becomes more powerful and even more stronger when we share in that together. John Wesley um, would write, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness, but social holiness. And his reference was to his bands and his societies and his classes, the groups in which he formed people into where we had our relationship with Christ, but we also found in our fellowship with each other ways to be stronger and to grow deeper in our faith and also ways in which we could witness to our faith more powerfully out into the world. Um, in a book that is uh, called The Life of Adam Clark, which is a biography of Adam Clark, an early Methodist preacher. Uh, J.W. Etheridge captures this exchange that took place between George Whitfield and John Poole. Now, George Whitfield actually was one of the most powerful evangelists in England. He, his name was known much more widely than Wesley's name was uh, when Wesley came on the scene. Whitfield was the preeminent uh, evangelical speaker of this day and age. Um, and so Whitfield comes to John Poole and he says, Well, John, art thou still a Wesleyan? And John responds, yes, sir, I thank God that I have the privilege of being in connection with Mr. Wesley and one of his preachers. And Whitfield says, John, thou art in thy right place. My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. This I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. Without that connection, without that coming together um, and supporting one another, pretty soon everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. And, and in this wheel, if you have a, a loose spoke, a spoke that's not connected well to the rim or not connected well to the hub, uh, those of you who have been around as long as I will and you've probably worked on these, you know that what happens is as that wheel moves, that spoke begins to bang around and, and pretty soon it damages the other spokes in the wheel and weakens the whole structure. For it to be as strong and effective as possible, uh, you have to have the common core, you have to have the relationship of the rim, and we have to be connected strongly in both places. Which really should remind you a little bit of a teaching that Jesus did about what is the great commandment. In Matthew's gospel, uh, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, quoting Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. Now quoting Leviticus 19.18, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Hub, rim, you know, Connected to God, love God with all you are. Connected with each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we are in that place, then the Christian community is at its most powerful, both to transform us and to transform the world. Listen to this word from our sister Margaret. Hello, my name is Margaret Zachary. I've been an active Bethany member for about three years now. My journey with Jesus significantly deepened when I decided not to walk alone. A few years ago, I was led to Alpha, a course that combines videos, thought-provoking talks, music, and interactive small groups for people who are looking to grow deeper in their relationship with God. 
I learned how the Holy Spirit was working in my life and how to identify that voice. And I also made amazing connections with people that I still have to this day. After Alpha, I was led to Grow Group where I could continue to go even deeper and share my experiences with other people as well as be blessed by hearing their testimonies and their um, walk with God. Now that has become so important to me and so important to my walk and my journey that I'm leading a grow group of my own. The Jesus-centered community transcends all conflicts and divides. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot would not have been friends under any other circumstances, but because they came together in love for Jesus, they shared a common mission. Jesus-centered community helped me grow deeper in my spiritual walk, and it helped me to learn how to uh, reach past conflicts and divides in my own life so that I could just focus on the mission that I was given from Jesus, which is to love God and love my neighbor. Now more than ever, we need community. We need each other. We were not meant to walk alone. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So let me uh, close with a piece of scripture out of Galatians uh, using Eugene Peterson's translation of it. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. The hub, the core, the common purpose, Jesus Christ and his ministry. The rim, the relationship we hold with one another. First, loving God with all we are, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. And when all of that comes together, there's a Jesus-centered Christian community that is powerfully transforming us and transforming the world. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you call us together, that you have shown us your face in the person of Jesus Christ, and that you give us this place to come together as those who are devoted to Christ and those who are in love with each other, that we might be the community we might be the community through which you are working. And so we give you thanks that you give us this Christ-centered community which is so powerfully working to transform each one of us and to witness to your love in a way that transforms the world around us. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.